Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. What a week it's been. Even though the news has piled on, we somehow made it to Friday. We've got plenty of stories to get to today. Over the weekend, the loop saw unrest as gatherings of young people turned violent. Chicago police announcing new security measures after a weekend of teen takeovers. Brandon Johnson addressed the violence in his first press conference as mayor-elect. Demonizing children is wrong. We have to keep them safe as well. And outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot is one step closer to closing out her term. After four years presiding over Chicago City Council, Mayor Lori Lightfoot led her final council meeting, conducting business as normal without any fanfare. This meeting is adjourned. It's time for our weekly news recap. And here to dive into the top local stories is Carrie Shepard, lead producer of CityCast Chicago, a daily podcast and newsletter. Monica Ng, Chicago reporter for Axios. And WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Okay, city leaders and residents are still searching for answers to the cause and police response to the violence last weekend in the Loop and at a Southside Beach. Patrick, where are we in terms of arrests and information about how these events happened? So I got to be honest, there's not like a ton new that we know now compared to what we knew maybe Monday morning or Tuesday. Fifteen arrests were made throughout the night on Saturday during that sort of downtown mayhem that you heard the, the clip about just a second ago. Also downtown, there were two teenagers who were shot. So that was Saturday night. Two teenagers were shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, The night before at 31st Street Beach, a 14-year-old boy was shot and and wounded. Um, And that was another during another teen, you know, mass teen gathering at 31st Street Beach. Um, What we know is that none of the arrests, I said there were 15 people arrested. None of them were for the shootings. There haven't been arrests made for, for those shootings. There haven't been arrests made for, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard about the Incident that was caught on video where the couple was was robbed and beaten by a group a group of people a yeah. group of young people seemingly based on the video uh, no arrests have been made in that incident as well uh, so so what we know right now is more mostly what we know, knew on Monday which is that things got out of hand and police were really not able police and whoever else you want to hold responsible for it were not able to sort of keep things in control yeah, do we have any sense like from social media uh, of, of what helped teens organize the gatherings? Well, I mean, it seems like what happened Saturday night downtown uh, is something that's been happening for years. I mean, I think uh, Adriana here at WBEZ did a story back in 2019 about uh, teen, they're called teen trends. I'm going to sound like such an old person if I talk about this, but <laughs> teen, teen trends. Teen, I, I know the name alone makes it sound like it's Tell set us up for more me about to sound that, stupid. Exactly. Uh, basically flyers that go out on social media saying, hey, we're all meeting up here, here, here. And I, I think it's pretty natural as I looked around the table, like young people want to be where young people are. And the yeah, idea of like, sure. oh, all the cool kids are going down to d- downtown or other young people are going to be at the lakefront. That draws draws young people together. Um and, and and that's actually something that I've heard from people as I've been reporting on the aftermath of what happened downtown and, and at the beach, which is this has been happening over and over again, and the city sh- should not have been caught flat-footed. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean they should have been ready to knock heads and lock people up, but 
they should have been prepared in some way that this beautiful Saturday was happening. Things were going around on social media. There were probably going to be lots of kids around. Well, Monica, there's a nonprofit that thinks they have a solution. They're hoping to help by creating a text and email system. It's supposed to alert parents about large teen gatherings as they happen. Any details? I mean, how is that supposed to work? Well, um, supposedly, you know, parents, uh, it takes a village. So a bunch of uh, parents in a village can start ratting out their kids and saying, hey, you know, Johnny's going to a party. I heard it's going to happen at the Brickyard Mall. And then share that with other parents. And hopefully, you know, it's sort of like that 11 o'clock thing that used to appear on the TV. It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? <laughs> and so yes. and so they can, you know, at least get hip to the latest parties. And yet that, that story um, in 2019 by Adriana was terrific. And I, I had read it, but I'd forgotten about it. And so when Lori Lightfoot put out her statement um, – this weekend saying, you know, we need to deal with these teen trends issues. I thought it was a typo. I thought she said she means the teen issues or the teen trends. But I think the more that, that adults can understand this phenomenon, the more we can, you know, say, okay, yeah, no, it's fine for kids to get together, but not fine for them to, like, you know, hurt people. Um, and that, that, that video that was mm-hmm. seen, you know, millions of times, um, that's something we got on at Exios on Monday and started asking the police about. Mm. First, at first they had, um, they said, well, we have a similar incident on Michigan Avenue, so we're not sure if it's the same one as the Wabash. Then they changed that. Yes, it's the one on Wabash, but we can't confirm that video is of that couple. A lot of people saw that video as a, as a video of just a woman. Mm. And then, you know, I asked them, I said, I want to see the whole police report because the witness, Miss Dennis, said that she tried to flag down cops. Yeah. She tried mm. to flag down a squad yeah. car. But and no it one would stop. Rode right around her. So Tuesday night, we got confirmation that I said to Don Terry, the spokesperson, are you guys investigating this claim? And they said that they were going to investigate that. And I think that sort of brought up this larger story. She also claims, we have no evidence of this, that when she went to report this, she was told, in essence, this is what happens when you elect Brandon Johnson. That that spells a very... Ominous. It sets a very ominous tone for the next four years. Yeah. If 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 indeed that is what she heard. Right. Right. The the quote was she said that she, they went out of the police station and the desk sergeant, or, or according to her. And you're right. We don't have any evidence that this happened. I'm not sure if it was caught on body camera. That has not come out yet. But we don't also don't have any reason to doubt her as a you know good Samaritan yeah. who just jumped in to, to help somebody in this case. Well, Carrie, here's another thought just on those text alerts that parents are now going yeah, to be right. sending. Can you imagine people misusing the technology and maybe sending out alerts when teens, maybe they're just gathering without any ill intentions? I'm sure, yeah. I mean, teens aren't always getting together to do bad exactly. things. Exactly, and that's the that's the thing. And like to Patrick's point, you know, in Chicago and a lot of cities, when it gets hot, it gets hot out there, you know. And so the idea that the police would be flat-footed seems to raise the question of what's going on. Is there a power vacuum or because we're in between superintendents sort of and we're in between administrations? Um, But yeah, I'm sure it could be misused. I don't want to try and get into the psychology of a teenager. I'm pretty far from being a teenager. And I know you live with teenagers. Well, I have them and I can tell you. (laughs) Sometimes they get together for good, I promise. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, they Kids, teenagers, young people, it's their city, too. They deserve. And, you know, that's the parks are for all of us. They should be able to hang out. They should be able to hang out, and especially outside when it's finally beautiful out Mm -hmm. and we've been cooped up for three years. And, you know, there should be some sort of balance. started earlier this year for the first time and are getting out much earlier. They're getting out in the first week of June. 
my kids are going to be looking for things to do immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's check in on our friends online. Mike Rooney on YouTube says, hopefully we find opportunities for kids, whether it's free museum access, free sports activities and job opportunities for those who want them. Uh, And Mike continues to say, let's find something fun for them to do after school in the neighborhoods and downtown. Uh, Patrick, back to what we were discussing a moment ago, folks wondering where the cops were during this violence. Is the police department looking into that? Well, as you just heard from Monica, the police department is specifically looking into this this claim that uh, that police, you know, did not help elected to actually try to avoid a situation where you had a, you know, a beating and, and a robbery. Obviously, I mean, we, people have seen the video. It's a very fraught situation that mm-hmm. according to this, you know, uh, Good Samaritan, the police just did not do their job and scooted around it. I mean, the. Uh, the downtown alderman, Brian, Brian Hopkins, has been very uh, critical of the police department, ba- saying essentially what we were just talking about, which is like, how could you not have anticipated that this might happen? Uh, not critical. He was not critical of the officers actually on the ground, but was critical of, of CPD leadership mm-hmm. and CTA leadership saying that they needed to be better coordinated, that it doesn't make sense that, that CPD did not have a plan to try to keep things in order so that – uh, the officers who actually on the ground were not overwhelmed. I mean, there were reports of officers who tried to go into the melee being, you know, having things thrown at them or being mm-hmm. pushed or punched. Uh, so you, you could understand if there's not enough officers and you're saying, hey, you got to break up this crowd, it's not difficult for them to get overwhelmed. So that does come down to planning and and, and having a, a strategy of yeah. how to handle it. A couple of questions for the roundtable here. First, I want to get your thoughts on this. Yesterday we learned Interim Police Superintendent Eric Carter is going to be stepping down on May 15th. That's the same day that Brandon Johnson's going to be sworn in as our next mayor. How do you think last weekend's violence might have contributed to that decision to step down? You know, I'm not sure. You know, uh, Alderman Hopkins, he said that that uh, it was Carter and the head of the uh, CTA who got in a screaming match on Saturday night about whether or not they should shut down CTA mm-hmm. service. Obviously, when aldermen are saying, uh, and it wasn't just Hopkins, when aldermen are saying, the city, the C- CPD was not prepared. That falls at the feet of interim superintendent Eric Carter. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of the fact that he's announcing his retirement. He's been with, with CPD for 30 years. He's announcing it, and it's going to be effective the day that Brandon Johnson takes office. I, yeah. I'm being honest. I don't know if that's a, a sort of a, a screw you to, to, to Mayor-elect Johnson or not. Or It seems weird for it to be a coincidence, but I can't say I know their relationship well enough to know if that why, if those two are connected. I mean, it also seems to be a, a, a sort of a white flag saying – this is a really, really yeah. tough job. Yeah, you know, yeah. where I'm, I'm trying to deal with this violence. I may, if if those officers, if that sergeant's words reflected, or if John Catanzara, the FOP leader's words uh, reflect rank and file, I'm dealing with a demoralized rank and file. I'm dealing with a new mayor who many of the rank and file feel like is not their advocate. Um, why would anyone want the job? Yeah, mm. uh, Mayor Lightfoot called on parents to take responsibility for their children. While Mayor-elect Johnson, we heard him urge folks to not, quote, demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their communities. What do you think about how these two quite different responses come across, Carrie? Yeah, I mean, Johnson is in, obviously, the the spotlight's on him a little bit more than Lightfoot. She's lame duck. You know, she's been quite, pretty quiet in the press as she sort of takes her final weeks in her administration. Um, this Johnson's response is not surprising based on his how he's campaigned and how he's, you know, talks about being an educator. 
Um, so I think also it goes back to what, you know, someone said online of, you know, museums and all this. Kids also need to feel welcome at those places, right? Teenagers need to feel. We hear stories all the time of young people who go in shopping or go here and they're immediately put, you know, they're immediately scrutinized and they're oh, not yeah. going to go some. You're not going to go somewhere where you don't feel welcome. None of us would would do that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think that Johnson is immediately in a tough spot as he knew he would be. And like Monica's saying, you know, just like the superintendent, being the mayor is a tough job. (laughs) Downstate lawmakers weighed in on the weekend violence. Here's what Central Illinois State Senator Chapin Rose had to say. Refusing to condemn in the strongest terms possible what happened. Terrorizing tourists is not an economic development strategy for the city of Chicago. You think the state senator from from Champaign, do you think he echoes what uh, a lot of people feel about the situation, Monica? Well, if you look online, a lot of people do feel that. But I mean, I think this is classic Brendan Brendan Johnson, if we can say classic to a guy who's not even been inaugurated yet. Which is he? His his campaign seems to be. It's not a zero sum game. It's Mm -hmm. not binary. It's not either or. It's not saying all these kids are devils or all these kids are angels. It's we 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 can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, we can condemn in the strongest terms what happened, but also say, you know, a lot of these kids are, are good kids who you know got caught up in something, and and it doesn't help to demonize them. Let's figure out how we can get to the root causes of these problems, just just like you talked about with crime, that we can do both at the same time. Patrick, let's get back to what our, our viewer on YouTube, Mike, had to say there. There have been a lot of calls for investment in, in youth employment and programming. Just talk to us about some of the ideas that are floating around. Yeah, so so the first there's this idea. I mean, Brandon Johnson has, uh, has said he's going to double uh, the, the amount of youth employment here in the city of Chicago. Not in response to this. That was one of his platforms as he was running. We've heard from youth advocates who say, yeah, if you if you added thousands of more jobs, you'd give kids more things to do and also more to lose. I mean, if you've got mm-hmm. a job and you're liking it and you're making money, you're also going to try to avoid doing things that would, you know, maybe get you fired from that job. You're not going to have uh, maybe not have the pent up energy that we saw on display somewhat uh, downtown. I've also heard from from youth advocates to, to another point that you were talking about the viewer, which is giving kids something to do. Uh, what I heard was two things. One, there's there is a lot of programming, maybe not enough, but there's a lot of programming for young people. But there's not a lot of it on the weekends that that Saturdays and, and Sunday night, you know, not Sunday nights, but Saturday nights, Friday nights. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of youth programming there. Yeah. So you, you we should probably step that up in the neighborhoods. And then also accept that kids are going to go downtown because it's beautiful, because yeah. it's fun to go right. there. Right. Because it's a place to mingle with people who aren't in your immediate neighborhood. And so if they're going to be down there uh and I say if they're going to be down there anyways, if that's a bad thing. But if they're going to be down there, give them things to do downtown as well. I mean, I heard I heard people say let young people organize safe events that 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 they would know young people actually want to go to, yeah, uh, in ways that would sort of put that energy into something more less uh, you know less chaotic. Yeah. And pushing back a little on that state rep from Champaign, I mean, it's not just tourists who traverse through downtown, mm-hmm. right? The Loop is a lot of people. There are a lot of jobs in the Loop. There are a lot of people who work in the buildings and work at the museums mm-hmm. and work in at the par- as parking attendants. And there are also a lot of hardworking Chicago families that want to, you know, on a Saturday, take they take their family to Navy Pier or Millennium Park. So it's not just that, you know, we need to protect the tourists. I think Brandon Johnson yeah. also understands 
Chicagoans are there too. You know, if you read social media, oh, everyone's left downtown. Right. Last night, late-ish at night, I was at the Studio 54 <laughs> pop-up Ooh. downtown in my fancy clothes. Monica truly goes harder than you. And then I was in dreamland. I am walking around looking at all these people around me enjoying yeah. Chicago. Yeah. I mean, it's not deserted. There were young people saying, let's go, par- let's, you know, let's go party, let's go dance, a little disco dance. And, and it's sort of, uh, let's boogie as the children say. <laughs> and so people are still out enjoying Chicago. Totally. Well, totally. thank you for making it in today, Monica, because yes. I know it must have been a, a rough morning. After a little Pedialyte, I'm okay. <laughs> this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with Monica Ng of Axios and the Chicago nightclubs, uh, WPEC Patrick Smith and Carrie Shepard of CityCast Chicago. A reminder, you can watch the weekly news recap live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also leave us a comment or question Talk to us in that YouTube chat box, and I'll read what you have to say on the air. Like uh, Michael Marsh's comment saying, Brandon Johnson did not express sympathy for the victims of the violence. Very bad. All right, we're going to switch gears and talk about city council because it was quite the love fest at City Hall this week. It was marking the end of an era for Mayor Lightfoot and at least a dozen city council members saying goodbye. Were you surprised, Carrie, by that warm reception and the tributes that were given to Alderman Ed Burke? No, I mean, that's part of the pomp and circumstance of this period, uh, for sure. I would say, you know, I think it was probably wise for Alderman Burke, who has been indicted on corruption charges, to tell the Alderman, Alderman Ray Lopez, to take back the idea of naming May 15th, also the inauguration of our new mayor, uh, Ed Burke Day. I think that Ed Burke was wise to say, maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, It was an interesting Burke has a huge legacy, of course. He's the historian of the council. He, as Heather Sharon said on CityCast uh, this morning, he had went. He was inaugurated into city council before the moon landing. So, you know, there's some deep roots there. Um, but let's not forget also that Burke was part of the council wars that blocked all um, Mayor Harold Washington's, basically his whole first term legislation and policies. So, um mm. Let's I mean, there is and that, you know, he's resigning. Also, he's retiring because he's been indicted. So yeah, let's let's hear a bit from from him. Uh, this is how Alderman Burke bid farewell to his council colleagues. In politics, there are no permanent enemies, no permanent friends, only permanent interests. If I have failed. During these past. Fifty four years. In achieving that goal. Please permit me to apologize. Do you feel like almost everyone's forgotten that he's facing federal corruption charges? Oh, I don't think so. And I'm pretty (laughs) sure Greg Pratt and all of our other great city council reporters will keep reminding us. When does he actually go on trial? You know, I don't know. I, I believe it's is it is November sixth. I think it's this is, year. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's uh, he's facing fourteen counts of racketeering, bribery, and extortion. Mm-hmm. I did learn in uh, that he. I didn't know this that he was he led the ban on indoor smoking in Chicago. So we can thank him for that. I mean, thank you, Burke. I, that was yeah. How do you think Alderman Burke's going to be remembered as a statesman or a corrupt politician? I guess a lot depends on the outcome of his uh, trial, right? But, um, yeah. But I mean, it's it's a mix, you know. There, that I think the pomp and circumstance uh, was there because you know longest serving, correct? 
Um, and he and he had some nice swag, you know. If you'd meet him, like I, I remember, I was at my friend's house, and I'm like, where did you get that fancy salt shaker? And it had the city flag on it. It's like Burke. He's got the best swag. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who so, knew? Yeah, Who knew? <laughs> he always had like this 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 swag to hand I out. I thought you were going to mention the pinstripe suits. Oh, but... the pinstripe suits. <laughs> also, you know, an author of uh, of um, of uh, conventions. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? So, um, but you know, the, the corruption hangs heavy. And the trial hangs heavy over him. There's a cloud. Uh, but, you know, for the last council meeting, they decided to. Yeah, yeah I, I don't mean to, to be rude to, to, to Alderman Burke. Uh, I think in a couple of years, no one's going to remember anything but the corruption. It'll be like, yeah, that guy served a long time. He was corrupt. And I'm not saying that's accurate. You know, I'm not saying he was corrupt throughout his old time. I think that these things tend to override our feelings of people. Like, nobody's remembering yeah. The good things about Nixon, right? Or Mike Madigan. <laughs> or Mike right. Madigan. Right, right. That's true. Or Rob Well, yeah. but, you know, before yeah. we take a pause, Alderman Burke took his time to say goodbye to his colleagues in city council, but that wasn't the case for Mayor Lightfoot. What did she do at her final city council session, Carrie? I think she didn't. I think she just sort of graciously accepted the accolades and then didn't speak after. But, which... but she did leave a nice parting gift, though, in terms of the budget. Right. Yes. Well, she's... I mean, if, if you if you say that um, only eighty five million, <laughs> right. uh, is, is you're welcome. Deficit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but but it's it's a it's a much smaller deficit than anybody imagined. Mm-hmm. Uh, about three hundred ninety million better. And that um, her predecessors left her smaller than that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like a record low. It, it's so funny. Like oh, only eighty five million is a record low. Uh, but go ahead. no, no, no. Go ahead. But um, but you know, but people say, wait a minute. Let's just see what happens after we do the city audit. Will it still be that low? Mm-hmm. And you know, stimulus money and a lot of um, a lot of money from uh, and taxes and and you know, she has that ex- escalator tax that's going to tie property taxes to inflation. Um, will Brandon Johnson hold on to that or will he keep his promise to not raise property taxes? I, I, who knows what it'll actually be? I also thought it was interesting. It was John Byrne, the, the Tribune reporter, who pointed out, one, this sort of uh, budget forecast that came came out a couple months earlier than it normally does, which means Lightfoot kind of took away the thing we always see with a new mayor where they say, oh, boy, the my predecessor sure left me a mess. Yep, mm. right. Lightfoot said, no, you're not no. going to be able to do that to <laughs> oh, me. Yeah. I'm right. coming in early it's to say not that. It's a early to know what the outlook is. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And, and to your point, she said, she said uh, you know, Johnson's going to need to keep my, my uh, you know, you Good tie record, it to yeah. inflation thing. Escalator tax. But yeah. they paused that in the election year. So so Lightfoot's saying you need to do this, although, no, of course, now I didn't do it this <laughs> last year, but you need to. So. Speaking of pauses, <laughs> we're going to take one right now. Back now with more from our weekly news recap. Well, the case against the former ComEd lobbyists and executives will soon be in the hands of the jury. Monica, what did we learn this week from testimony? Well, we heard a lot of testimony. In fact, the, the jury's heard 50 witnesses over five weeks. Mm. Um, and Premajori, the former CEO of uh, ComEd, took the took the stand. And, you know, the, the ComEd four, they are uh, former ComEd lobbyists John Hooker and Premajori. Uh, the confidant Mike McLean and um, and City Club uh, uh, leader G. Doherty, they they all seem to have sort of the same theme, which is we were doing stuff that is just part of politics. That seems to be the the main theme. Yeah, um, this is this is how it works, and none of it was in, in their eyes illegal. And so, you know, I guess as the jury, you know, was expected to uh, to to start deliberation next week goes through it. I guess that's what they have to decide. Is mm. this business as usual um, to to 
give jobs, do nothing jobs to people um, for favors or is it actually illegal? And I think that's that's the big thing here. Carrie, anything standing out to you so far with this trial? Yeah, I mean, to Monica's point, right, tale is old as time. This is how you get stuff done. Uh, Dave McKinney, WBZ, you know, longtime Statehouse reporter Dave McKinney, he, we had this great discussion with him on CityCast about, like, it, it's not just getting jobs for people. Let's not forget how this affects you as the ComEd customer, mm-hmm. that a lot of this lobbying meant that your bill went up. Because they they you know enacted this legislation that created the smart grid that you know da 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 like you know it can get a little weedy but basically at the end of the line like if you the average Chicagoans like why should I care about this well you have a comed bill that you got to pay yeah. and this actually did affect you so I think that's it's, uh, it's due tomorrow right and like that's important and you know <laughs> when your reminder. your utility bills go up that's that's you know that effect and we're in with inflation I mean that's a big that can hit your pocket yeah book. for sure. I want to turn to another federal court case in Chicago, Patrick, a ruling on a lawsuit challenging Illinois' assault weapons ban. What are the details? I feel like I haven't heard about this in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yes. So so Robert Bevis, he's a firearm store owner based in Naperville. He uh, has challenged the Illinois' recent ban on assault weapons. Uh, His lawsuit, he lost uh, at the district court level. A federal judge ruled against him, said that the ban was constitutionally sound. That was a little ways back. He's appealing that ruling, and he asked the appeals court in Chicago to uh, put a stay on the law, essentially. Let let us sell assault weapons while I'm appealing this. He lost that bid. On Tuesday, the, the appeals court here in Chicago said, no, we're not going to put an injunction on this. You know, the appeal is going forward, but in the meantime, the ban, the ban holds. Mm-hmm. Remind our listeners about the ban. Yeah, so this was a ban. It banned military-style weapons and high-capacity magazines. It was a bill that the Governor J.B. Pritzker signed uh, at the beginning of the year in mm-hmm. January. Uh, this He signed it. It was six months after um, the shooting in Highland Park where a gunman used an AR-15 style semi-automatic rifle to kill seven people and wound more than 40 others at the Highland Park Fourth uh, of July parade. Uh, unfortunately, one of just many mass shootings. We see high capacity magazines used here in shootings here in Chicago, uh, and they are banned under this new law. But as we're talking about now, there are actually several court challenges to that ban. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with Monica Ng of Axios, WBEZ's Patrick Smith, and Carrie Shepard of CityCast Chicago. We're also on YouTube and Facebook. So if you prefer to watch, remember that you can do so right now. You can leave us a comment or question in that chat box. Talk to us, and we may just read what you have to say on the air. All right, let's switch gears. Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson traveled to Springfield. Uh, This was his first address to the Illinois legislature. Now, one of the things he called for was an overhaul of how the state funds schools. Let's listen to that. A revised school funding formula will not only help every community across the state, but it will also help ensure there is a nurse and a social worker in every single school in Chicago. So Johnson's not the first mayor that we've seen ask the state to revise how they're se- they're spending money on schools. So what is the likelihood, Monica, that we're actually going to see any changes? Well, uh, that I'd say that remains to be seen. But I mean that we we do have a long way to go. I mean, uh, I think there was a recent report that we reported on, and you guys did about how um, that Illinois is at the bottom when it comes to state state funding of schools. A lot of it ends up on our property taxes. Um, the the state dropped its funding for it was for a higher education, but I think maybe education across the board by 
by 50% over the last 20 years. Mm. I mean, there's a lot needs to be done. They'd like the um, the funding formula to not be per pupil anymore. We are losing enrollment at CPS. Um, but uh, at the same time, he asked for a change in the local government distributive fund, which mm. I'm sure everybody thinks about all the time. <laughs> yes, of <laughs> that, course. Um, <laughs> that takes, um, they used to take 10% of state income taxes for infrastructure that municipalities could use. Now it's down to six. He'd like to boost that back up to 10 um, but, you know, I think he that was one of his promises as a, as a former educator is one of his promises to get better funding from the state for our schools. Mm. I want to talk about how Johnson was received by legislators uh, in Springfield, though he urged collaboration. Here's a little bit of what Southern Illinois Republican State Representative Blaine Willauer had to say about his speech. It was uh, pure political theater, fantasy land, dangerously naive a complete disassociation from the reality that we live here in the state of Illinois and they live in in the city of Chicago. Well, Carrie, do you think he sounds ready to collaborate with our new mayor? Yes. No, I mean, I just, I'm kind of giggling because it's, of course, it's political theater. I mean, he's, Brandon Johnson is not a state legislator. I mean, this is always political theater. It's symbolic to say, especially considering that, you know, it's been well reported that Mayor Lori Lightfoot did not have a great relationship with some legislators Mm -hmm. um, and text revealed maybe not even with Governor Pritzker. So it's really a symbolic gesture to say, hey, I want to work. I want to work with you all. And Monica made this point either earlier about the zero sum game that, you know, he's saying just because Chicago gets something, it doesn't mean you all lose. There are going it's a it's a reality. There are things Chicago's going to get. We are the largest city. We are the huge economic engine. You know, that's just going to we have the third largest now fourth largest school district, public school district in the country. Right. But, um, you know, I and to to whoever I, that legislator was who said that, that's kind of sort of what he has Will to Allen. say. Also, that's his that's his own political that, theater. Yeah, exactly. They sort of have to. Mm-hmm. Also, that. that's not who Johnson's relying. It's not like Johnson's going to have to win over downstate Republicans right, to right. get his agenda through. He needs to probably the the sort of fringe people he needs to win over are like suburban Democrats, I, I'd assume, and and downstate Democrats. I don't think Johnson's plan is relying on Southern Illinois Republicans. If it Absolutely. is, then then that is probably doomed to fail. I, I doubt it is. Though. That said, you know, he said he wanted to reset the Chicago downstate dynamic that we saw play out so much <laughs> mm-hmm. in the governor's race that it's like us, us against, us against them, them, red against blue. And, and it really echoed what he said in Chicago. I, I don't I think we can we can uh, we can address um, needs at the police department while also addressing the root causes of crime. I mean, he brought this down to a state message saying we don't have to be Chicago against downstate. We yeah. can all win. Uh, Johnson was also busy this week. He was lining up more members of his leadership uh, staff, Monica. So he announced a couple more important hires. That's right. He um, he announced, I, I want to say this right, uh, he announced a, a, a city hall veteran, uh, one of uh, Mayor Richard M. Daly's um, administrative guys, and I will say his name, Richard Guidis. I was saying in my mind, Guidice, but that's wrong. <laughs> no. Um, Guidis, who, um, and I think in some ways, because he's such a veteran, he's going to calm a lot of fears in the business community that he's going to bring in, you know, Marxist socialism. They're saying, look, this is a guy you know. This is a guy, uh, Mr. Guidis, Guidis is a guy you know. And 
and he's going to bring stability. So, you know, and, and he's worked at City Hall for a long time. He worked for Richie Daly, for God's sake. So um, yeah, right now, he's yeah. deep roots. I know, yeah. right? And he was leading the OEMC, the Office of Emergency Management Communication. Um, and, you know, but in order to, I don't want to say placate or to reassure his progressive base, he's also got uh, Senator Christina Passioni Zayas, who will be the deputy. Oh, State really? Senator, yeah. 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 I, I remember when, uh, I think it was Tony Arnold a long time ago here, BZ did a story about state senators, state lawmakers giving up that job to be alderman, that yeah. they'd rather be an alderman. Mm. The idea that you would leave a state senator position to be the deputy chief of staff <laughs> is surprising. Yeah, I, have to <laughs> I don't think she is leaving. Oh, she's not leaving. No, oh, because well. this is a longstanding thing that legislators, they have other, you know, it's just yeah, like aldermen. Okay. You can have more than, that's you know, true. there's a lot that has still keep I, their law practices. And they said... I was she, with you, Patrick. I thought she <laughs> was yeah, leaving too. too. But, yeah, oh, that's good to know, Carrie. I think that she said that she, they said as of now, she's not going to. But. Interesting. Uh, Patrick, let's talk about another big hiring decision facing Johnson. That's Chicago's next police superintendent. So with Eric Carter leaving, mm-hmm. as we talked about, now it's unclear who's going to take over as the interim police chief before the permanent one is appointed. Is that going to put more pressure on Johnson to pick a, pick someone fast? You know, I don't think it will because I think this process is going to take as long as it takes. I mean, it's it's written into the ordinance how it works. You know, the uh, the 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 police. Sorry, it used to be the police board, and now I'm blanking on the new commission. The new the CCPS. Yes, the new the new community policing commission. They will pick three finalists who who Johnson then picks from. I don't think you're going to be able to speed that process up. Mm. What I do think it opens up the door for. I'm not saying I know this is going to happen. Is bringing in an interim who can start making the changes that Johnson wants to see in the department. An example of that is when when Mayor Lightfoot took over, uh, fired Eddie Johnson, and then put in Charlie Beck, the former uh, the former police chief in Los Angeles, who completely reorganized the police department, even though he was only interim. Now, weirdly enough, David Brown came in and undid all that. It was kind of a weird. But anyway, the point <laughs> is that with Carter <laughs> stepping down, this is the chance for Johnson to to put in an interim person who maybe could make some changes quick before you get that permanent person within a few months. That superintendent search is still underway, of course, as we know, the second of four public forums that are happening in the community that happened this week how did that go yeah so a crowd packed uh packed into state sabina catholic church in the in the auburn gresham neighborhood uh the commissioners there they were hearing from people about they want multiple calls for somebody who came from within cpd which is something we've heard from a lot of th- a lot of people including brandon oh, yeah. johnson says he wants someone from within cpd community members who said they want uh, a new superintendent who will instill a culture of respect for residents they want systemic changes yes Back now with the week's top stories. Let's get back into it. Classes resumed at both Chicago State and Governor State Universities after faculty and staff returned to work this week. Monica, what kind of resolution was reached? Well, uh, Governor State and Chicago State and Eastern uh, all have tentative agreements after uh, work stoppages. And, um, you know, supposedly they've addressed workload, they've addressed uh, parental leave, they've addressed hours. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, that, that study that recently came out showed that, that Illinois had dropped 50 percent of its funding for state uh, um, public universities over the last 20 years. And that is really starting to show its face. Earlier this year, UIC also went on strike. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times have we seen this many public university strikes of institutions that serve uh, a lot of students of color, a lot of um, adult students, a lot of people who are part-time students. 
Um, and I think that that speaks loud and clear. Shifting gears yesterday was 420, Carrie. Uh, it's an informal holiday for cannabis consumers. Thank you for explaining that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> Someone wasn't aware. Uh, <laughs> more than a <laughs> Some people are not aware, like me. <laughs> Kidding. All right. <clears throat> More than 100 weed workers honored it by walking off the job. So can you just give us the details there? Sure. Um, it looks like these are uh, disp- at the dispensary Rise, which I have don't know if this is true, but I know they have multiple locations. And this was in the, I think these were Rise dispensaries in the suburbs. Um, basically, common story with strikes, not much not much different than the higher ed one. Um, unfair, they're saying there have been unfair labor practices, basically, we're, you know, working overtime, not being compensated appropriately, so they walked off the job, which um, could really hurt their bosses uh, because it was 420 and people like to extra celebrate, I think, on mm-hmm. 420. So, um, yeah, and I, I think they're trying to come to, they're still tra- bargaining, you know, for mm-hmm. a contract. Still negotiating. All right, we are going to take a look at a couple cases involving police abuse now, Patrick. First, the the Chicago Police Board suspended an officer for six months without pay. What's that about? Yeah, um, so it was on Thursday, yesterday, excuse me, so Thursday, uh, the Chicago Police Board voted uh, to suspend Officer Chavez Seiler for six months uh, related to an a violent arrest in Humboldt Park that happened six mu- six years ago. Excuse mm. me. Uh, Superintendent David Brown had recommended that that the officer be fired for that. This is it happened inside of a convenience store in Humboldt Park. Uh, the officer pistol whipped the person that they were uh, attempting to arrest. Uh, Brown had had recommended that this officer be fired. The police board, however, found that that much of the violence that this officer used was necessary or appropriate because the person was resisting arrest. They found that there was one point during the arrest where the person's arms got caught in their jacket and they couldn't fight back anymore, and so the officer didn't need to, but they kept hitting the person. So that's why the six-month mm. sus- suspension instead of termination. It's interesting that the, the former now former superintendent thought he should be fired. Uh, I do also want to just point out quickly, as I mentioned, this was six years ago, and I, this is something that I think is just worth mentioning because it's something that upsets Police officers, it's something that upsets people who want more police accountability, the public, how long these cases yeah. take mm-hmm. to adjudicate. Because whether the officer is guilty or innocent of the of the charges, you would want that to be settled right away, not oh, six for sure. years later. And he stays on the job, yes, during that time or no? Is yes. He put on leave? Okay. Yes, yes. But, but they're they're like taken off of police duty. So what Definitely. you've got is you've got an officer that you're paying, uh, but they can't do most of the functions of their job. Right. In another case, the, the Cook County Sheriff's Office wants to fire a Cook County jail officer. What's that? Yeah, so this is uh, Reginald Robertson, uh, a uh, jail guard. He's charged, he's actually been criminally charged with beating an inmate who requested a medical evaluation. Video from the jail shows uh, the guard put a pair of handcuffs around his knuckles before beating the inmate. So he's been charged criminally and and uh, Sheriff Dart is seeking to fire him. Wow. Well, uh, this is a good time to read Mike Rooney's comment on YouTube. Mike says, we need a progressive chief of police who understands how to engage all communities, can address root causes of crime, and understands that the new stop and frisk of pulling over cars won't work. Mm. Carrie, let's switch gears. An Evanston Elementary School went into brief lockdown Tuesday. What happened? Yeah, I was thinking about this, obviously, this story when we were talking about the assault weapons ban. Um, This was the eight-year-old, I guess, brought a magazine into school. um, And they, I think that the 
the student maybe informed a teacher or someone and so but didn't have a gun um and they so they went into lockdown as as they should but it just made me think so much like patrick you know you referenced the highland park shooting and it made me think so much about the parents responsibility in mm-hmm. that case the alleged shooter's father was also if i recall indicted by a grand mm-hmm. jury he sponsored him for a foy cuz he sponsored yeah. him to get the gun and it's there has to be i mean i remember going back years in illinois there even you know gun rights act advocates would they would really push for this like lockup law like you've got to lock up your firearms now how do you totally enforce that are you going through people's homes and saying hey is your gun locked up but how an eight-year-old gets their hands on that I think is a is a big question right um just as as just as much as like buying you know buying your teenager a gun when I was training to be a hunter for a story at the Tribune we were told have a separate safe where you lock your guns and a separate safe where you lock your ammunition at Mm -hmm. all times doesn't seem like people are following those rules. Right. Patrick, our, our WBEZ colleague, Dan Mahalopoulos, he had a story this week. It was involving some Chicago Park District employees. Give us an overview of that. Yeah, so so this was based on an, uh, an inspector general investigation that found uh, several Park District employees had fraudulently applied for PPP loans. You know, the PPP loans were the payment protection loans. They were supposed mm-hmm. to help people pe- keep companies going, keep people employed yeah. during the COVID-19 uh, shutdown. Uh, the IG found, I, I believe it's, uh, I think six employees have resigned. Five more are facing discipline because they file for PPP loans for bogus companies. The inspector general t- told uh, Miolopoulos that um, they're continuing to investigate other city agencies. I mean, because of Dan, really, this reporting, you know, we talk so much about what's going to happen in, with the next administration at CPD, CPS, um, CTA, but like, the parks, wow, the park district has, I mean, they have a budget that's like more than a hundred, mm-hmm. but, you know, hundred million dollars. And, you know, Dan's reporting over the years has just really uncovered a lot of, a lot of holes. A lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested. And let's remember, I mean, the park district, their programming touch is, is all throughout the city and, you know, a lot of people use it and Absolutely. should be using it. Yeah. Of course, we can't end this recap without reflecting on the weather whiplash this week, folks. I mean, <laughs> do you remember this? This was From days record, ago. Record yes. highs. Saturday to in the snow. 80s. Monday morning, we wake up. It's snowing. Yesterday, there's a tornado watch. I mean, is this, uh, am I talking to three Chicagoans here? Is, is this weather roller coaster? Is this part of the excitement that you love about Chicago? Or could you do without it like me? But, but we, we've always had strange weather. But when, In you, April, when you talk especially. to climatologists and they say, and we say, okay, what do we expect? Is it global warming or cooling? They said extreme events. That's what we should be expecting, extremes. And that's the same with the, the rise and fall of Lake Michigan. Yeah, This is too I, extreme for me. I, I liked the roller coaster when I was at the beach on Saturday. I hated the roller coaster. <laughs> On Monday, when it was yeah snowing, snowing. So no, I, I'm with Carrie. No, I don't. I don't like it. it I, you know, the Chicago is worth it for the weather, totally. But it still sucks. It, <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, spring might arrive a little later than we want it to, but it does always finally get here. And for some, spring officially starts when those cherry blossoms bloom over in Jackson Park. So good news. The Chicago Park District says it's now officially on cherry blossom watch. Although you know, peak season, it's still. We still got a few more weeks there. Anybody got a favorite local spot to go and, and check out? Well, Jackson Park is my jam. Spring. I love it. And I've been checking Phoenix. and checking. And, you know, I was just in Champaign-Urbana last week speaking at the journalism school, and I love their Japan house and their cherry blossoms. They got zapped with 
warm weather, the cherry blossoms got tricked and then zapped. And so you go there, you see nothing. And largely it happened in D.C. Jackson Park might be the one cherry blossom spot that actually makes it this year. Wow. Well, before we go, I'm wondering what stories really stuck out to you this week. Real quick, anything that surprised you or that you thought were underreported, or if you just want to plug something that you got coming up next week. Well, Monica? I loved going to the Adler Planetarium's Dark Side of the Moon show. It's going to be there for all year. It's it's marking Pink Floyd's 50th anniversary of that classic album. And, and I, when, I, when I put a thing, I was like, eh, it's 20 bucks for tickets. Bongs not included. <laughs> um, so I was going to go, and my friend was going to get high legally beforehand, and we ran late, so we didn't get the edibles. Um, but we both felt like we were high watching this unbelievable 43-minute show in the dome that's all above you. Cool. These incredible trippy images and music. And I would totally recommend people. What a week you've had, Monica. I know. Like disco (laughs) dancing. Every week week is like this for Monica. Okay, real quick, Carrie. Anything Um, coming up on CityCast we should know Yeah, I've been, I was, I saw in the, during the spring session in Springfield, there's been this bill that's working its way through about teaching uh, Native American history in schools and that the curriculum should be actually informed by Native people. Um, So I am interested in that and made some calls yesterday to learn more about that. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And we'll tune in and, and check it out. And Pat. Oh, I feel like I'm a bummer after Monica's fun. Uh, but uh, Shannon Heffernan, my colleague on the Criminal Justice Desk, reported this week about a monitor's report in Illinois prisons that found uh, mm-hmm. almost half of all medical positions in the prisons are are unfilled. You had her. Yeah, on we had Shannon on that. too. And yeah, wow. I just think that it's an outrage. Yeah. yeah. Well, WBZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith was here. Carrie Shepard, lead producer for CityCast Chicago, a daily podcast and newsletter, was with us. And Monica, Chicago reporter for Axios. Monica Ng, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guthman, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Linnea Dominic. Did you know that you can catch the recap live on YouTube every Friday? Subscribe to the WBEZ channel and tune in to hang out with local journalists as they break down the top stories with us. We may even read your comments on the air. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.